1019 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. Americans' social lifelines are beginning to fray as the temperature drops and the gray twilight arrives earlier each day. Comfortably mingling outside during the pandemic is getting more difficult across much of the country. For many people, it's already impossible. That is the opening lines of a recently published piece in The Atlantic. It feels really accurate here in cold and cloudy Detroit. And it's precisely why so many Americans are creating pods, also known as bubbles, or small exclusive groups of people that we've decided to socialize with indoors as the, pan- as the pandemic rages on. The problem with that is that this idea of a pod is different to everyone. And maybe it doesn't work quite the way all of us think it does. Joining me to talk about this notion of pods and how they work is the person who wrote this new piece in The Atlantic, aptly titled, Sorry to Burst Your Quarantine Bubble. Rachel Gutman is Deputy Managing Editor at The Atlantic, and she joins us now. Rachel, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And we are also joined by a familiar voice here on Detroit Today. Dr. Paul Kilgore is Associate Professor and Director of Research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Dr. Kilgore, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Steve. Great to be here with you. Thank you very much. Yes. So, uh, Rachel, I'm going to start with you. And I, I would love for you to explain to our listeners what a bubble or a pod is supposed to do in theory. How is it supposed to work? Sure. So in theory, a bubble is supposed or a system of bubbles with everybody in a community is supposed to limit the spread of the virus. So if somebody in one pod gets infected because they're only interacting with a handful of other people, none of those people are interacting with anybody else, the virus would kind of stay contained in that small group of people and not spread anywhere else. And how you would accomplish that is that folks would be forming, as you mentioned, these very exclusive bubbles. So Maybe five people decide that they're going to be inside maskless with each other, but never, ever be inside maskless with anybody else. And that exclusivity helps keep the virus contained such that if some person does maybe get exposed at the grocery store or at work or something like that, they're not risking the infection of then everybody else in the community quite so much. Hmm. And there is, of course, uh, uh, an easy, easily identifiable problem, I guess, with the idea of these pods, and it's the idea of leakage. Uh, talk about what, what that means. Yeah, leakage is definitely common in pods. Leakage just refers to the idea that these closed pods might not be so closed. So that might be by design. So perhaps some folks say, you know what, this exclusive thing isn't really working for us. And I also need to see my uncle or my grandmother or my other friend inside. And so that creates these extra pathways for infection outside the core group in the pod. Or there's just accidental leakage all the time. If, as, as I mentioned, if you get exposed in the grocery store, it just happens. No pod is perfect. Um, and what are the things that uh, we should be doing differently, I guess, to make this to make this more effective? Is this is this a knock on the very idea of pods and bubbles? It's not a knock on the whole theory of pods. The most important thing that I think people can do is if they have formed a pod or are considering forming a pod is to be really 
intentional about how you communicate with the people you're forming the pod with. Everybody needs to be on the same page. And this is true no matter who you're forming it with, even if it's with your spouse or other folks who you live with. You might think you're on the same page, but the pandemic has introduced all these new vocabulary items into the lexicon of everyday Americans. And we think we know what we're talking about, but because they're so new and because they maybe haven't been communicated perfectly by the government or other public health entities, people might not necessarily be on the same page when they're using the same language. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Rachel Gutman. She's the deputy managing editor of The Atlantic and recently wrote a piece about pandemic pods titled Sorry to Burst your quarantine bubble. Uh, I've also got Dr. Paul Kilgore with us. He's associate professor and director of research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. We're talking about the idea of pods or bubbles, uh, the things that we are trying to create to keep our social lives kind of going during the pandemic when we are being told that we need to stay away from most people uh, indoors. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us if you have a pod or a bubble. Tell us who's in your pod and who is not in your pod. What are the rules? Is it just your household? Do you have a family member or household you're still socializing with indoors with no mask? Uh, tell us how you decide who you're going to wear a mask around versus those you spend time with indoors without a mask. Tell us your thinking about this concept of pods and if you've had any conflict within your pod about the rules, the risks, or any other factor of trying to socialize amid this pandemic winter. Also, tell us how all of this plays into your holiday planning, right? Uh, We just got through the Thanksgiving holiday. We're starting to see the results, the surge that is uh, the surge in, in coronavirus cases that was predicted because people were... Uh, unlikely to observe the kind of distancing that has been recommended over the holiday. What is that going to mean for Christmas? Uh, just a few weeks away. What is that going to mean for your Christmas holiday? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Also, give us a call and tell us if you're one of the people who's just had enough of all of this, uh, had enough of trying to figure out how to keep socializing during the pandemic. Uh, are you one of the folks who's just uh, doing what you what, what what you feel is right at this point uh, and not not adhering to a lot of uh, the guidelines? Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. On the phones, Dr. Kilgore, uh, I, I want to ask you about the dangers of these pods and the notion of these pods creating sort of a sense of false security, which I think is one of the more dangerous things during this pandemic. People who believe that what they're doing is safe, but maybe don't quite understand what the risks are. That's a great point, Steve. And Rachel actually raised uh, really some key points and questions around pods and. You know, I I would point listeners to a great document that's up on the Michigan.gov website. Uh, This is at Michigan.gov forward slash coronavirus. And the name of the document is COVID-19 Safe Social Pods. 
and it provides a really nice list of do's and don'ts around how you can create and maintain a safe social pod. And one of the things that you've alluded to, actually, is that when a pod is created, um, there's a lot of assumptions that go into that. And first and foremost, um, like Rachel mentioned, having the ground rules stated up front and being very transparent about how people will behave within the pod and then when they go outside the pod is really critical to maintaining knowledge around exposure to coronavirus in the community. And another key point is really talking about within your pod how vulnerable are each individual member. And, for example, if you have someone with underlying medical conditions or is over the age of 65, these individuals may really need to look carefully at who's in the pod, and then how the individuals in the pod interact with people at work or when they go shopping or go to the gym and things like that. I mean, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Uh, You know, it strikes me that, and I'm just thinking of my own life, how I've had to structure my own life during during the pandemic, that it's almost impossible to, you know, seal off a group of people entirely from everyone else. I mean, uh, in some in some way, everyone's pod ends up being interconnected with the other pods, even if it's just through one person. Um, and I and I don't mean that as a criticism of what people are doing. I just think it's the way that that life works and the way that life is is structured. I'm really having a hard time imagining that unless it's a family living in a single household, how you would how you would make this work. That's, you know, that's a great point, Steve, and you know, a great case in point two are the professional sports and college sports teams where they have created bubbles. The bubble size, though, or the pod size is larger than what's recommended uh, typically, and, and if you look at the Michigan uh, guidelines and other guidelines that are out there, the general recommendation is to keep the pod size under 10 people, so really no more than one or two households, ideally, but One of the other things that every pod member would have to really agree upon is that when they do go out in the community, they limit their interaction, but also maintain great hand hygiene, wearing a face covering or a face mask when out in public, and also uh, using a hand hygiene, hand gel, um, and making sure that they are aware of their surroundings and be very vigilant about exposures and, and letting the pod members know if they have had an exposure um, because that would be a trigger for pod members to um, really stop their interaction and go get tested immediately. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us how you're managing all of the restrictions, the social restrictions uh, that we're living under because of the pandemic. Tell us if you have a pod or a bubble that you have formed uh, with people who are close to you but maybe don't live in your same household. How's that working? Uh, are you sure about uh, the safety of that pod? Are you certain that the people in that pod are not also uh, interacting socially with other people and then therefore kind of piercing the bubble that you're trying to create? Uh, also give us a call and tell us if you're somebody who's just kind of had enough of all of this uh, and is doing things the way that uh, that you want to do them and not really adhering to the restrictions. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Zoe in Pontiac. Zoe, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. 
Um, yeah, so in terms of pods and like how, how we're keeping them, I remember at the beginning of the um, quarantine, I was neighbored with my now best friend, uh, and I only saw her and her husband for probably the first couple of months. And then that group kind of widened a little bit, but now I'm back to only seeing like three people again. Um, and I found kind of the hardest thing for me beyond just that I work with other people and I'm in school. So I see other people on a semi-regular basis. Um, communicating with my family about holidays especially is really difficult um, because both my parents work in healthcare and they haven't necessarily been the most rigid when it comes to <laughs> maintaining a pod. Yeah. And um yeah, like I didn't go home for Thanksgiving, despite the fact that they live 30 minutes away from me. And now it's navigating how to like communicate with them. Like, I'm not going to be home for Christmas either because they're planning on doing like a really small gathering. And yeah, it's really difficult, especially because like my mom actually went through like having the virus for six weeks and like seeing her like be in a lot of pain wow. and then kind of violate those same social like distancing rules and stuff later wow. is just really hard to kind of like navigate. And then also like not lose the fact that like, I do still love them. Like I love my family. I wish I could see them, but it's, I like, I have to do it for yeah, myself and for my own safety. That's really remarkable that you're going to be able to, uh, you know, withhold from socializing with your family uh, for both Thanksgiving and and Christmas because uh, you're worried about about how how safe it is. Uh, uh, Rachel Gutman, um, this is exactly the, the fear I think about the the whole concept of, of of the pod is does it work? And if it doesn't work, uh, do you have to just c- completely stay away uh, from your family in some cases? Yeah, I mean this is a really tricky situation that I imagine quite a lot of folks in Detroit and around the country are facing right now. The one of the things that a pod can help with in situations like this is this is a point that um, I spoke with a bunch of epidemiologists for my article. And one of them made this point, which I thought was really important, that we have to do so much negotiating during the pandemic, whether it's with our coworkers or our roommates or our parents about what's okay and what's not okay. And it can get exhausting to have to do that every single time you want to see somebody or somebody wants to see you. The advantage of a pod here is that if you're setting ground rules at some point, either early on in the formation of a pod or after you've had a pod for a while, even if those rules change, you kind of have a basis on which to build the changing rules so that you're not facing this fatigue every single time you want to see somebody. Zoe's situation, it sounds really hard just because it sounds like your parents aren't in your pod. And that points to how even if you are having these proactive conversations within your pod, there's still so much decision fatigue everywhere else in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the the, the frustration that people are starting to feel and starting to demonstrate by uh, you know, in some cases going out and protesting, but but in others, just doing what they would normally do, I think is one of the fears that uh, that public health officials certainly have about uh, about the winter. But I think as an individual, you have to fear that too, because uh, somebody that you are interacting with may be fed up with all of this and doing things that, that you may not always know about. And now you're at risk uh, as well. That's another kind of downside of uh, of the pods, Rachel. 
Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you. Hey. I just wanted to give a shout out to the young woman at Home Depot who was working in the paint. And I went to get some paint and there was a customer there who was an older guy with the long beard wearing no mask. And he was really close to the young woman. He was animated and talking to her really close. She was wearing a mask, but he was not wearing a mask. Mm. And for this woman is working at Home Depot on the hill over there in Melvindale, exposed to people like that. And who knows how many people are going to be exposed after that. And I, I just turned around and left the story after I shouted out to him that he should be wearing a mask, and he just ignored me. But it, my heart breaks for that young woman who's trying to hold a job, probably a minimum wage job at Home Depot, and no one will take this seriously enough to be able to protect her, right. her family, her loved ones, and everybody else that comes in contact with her today. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm really not happy to hear about that either, uh, Elena. And I, and I think we all have experiences like that right now. We all go places uh, where we see people not wearing masks at the at the gas station the other day, I noticed uh, one person among six or seven people inside not wearing a mask, standing in line, waiting like everybody else. But he but he didn't have a mask on, and and you know the question is how dangerous that is, uh, how much risk we're putting ourselves at, uh, even being around. Uh, people like that. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, can you give us a sense of how much risk uh, we're taking because there are people who just are not following the restrictions at all now and and are out in public as though there isn't a pandemic going on? So, Steve, there is actually substantial risk in being around individuals who may not be wearing a mask or not wearing it properly. And so, couple of things that I always try to encourage and remind people to do. One is um, wear a face covering or mask whenever you're going out in public. That's number one. Number two, make sure the mask is covering both your mouth and nose. Covering the nose is really important because the virus really, really likes the cells up in your nose in your olfactory system. There's a lot of the receptors, the ACE2 receptors that are up there that the virus will immediately go for and attach to. So covering nose is key. And the third thing is, I've been out in public many times in, in various venues where um, I'm around an individual not wearing a mask. And I do actually um, tell them or I suggest to them very diplomatically, as diplomatically as possible, to wear a mask or um, you have a mask. And, and actually, I carry a few masks, extra masks around with me that are clean, unused, mm. and new. And uh, if, if I run into someone that needs a mask, I'm... I'm offering a mask if they want it. And, you know, there's going to, always going to be individuals in the community who, for one reason or another, can't wear a mask. Um, perhaps it's a medical reason. With the gentleman that has a beard, um, I'm sure he may have experienced wearing a beard and having a face covering that's hard to find that covers the beard <laughs> right. and mouth and nose completely. But I encourage it strongly, yeah. um, face covering and mask. Yeah, you gotta you got to wear a mask right now, especially especially when you're in public around other other people. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about uh, public health and pods and bubbles during the pandemic. We want to continue to hear from you as well. Hannah in Detroit and Richard in Troy, we will get to you when we come back. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 
We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDTM. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Rachel Gutman. She's a deputy managing editor at The Atlantic and author of a recent piece titled Sorry to Burst Your Quarantine Bubble. Also with us is Dr. Paul Kilgore, associate professor and director of research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. We're talking about pods and bubbles, all the little social groups that uh, we're trying to put together in our lives to get through a time when we are not able to gather in large groups together outdoors or indoors. Um, How well do those pods work, though? How effective is that a way to stop the spread of COVID-19? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the show. Let's go to Richard in Troy. Richard, welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning to your guests. How are you? Good. Very good. I have a serious issue uh, with trying to create a pot within my family. My wife is a nurse, so she faces danger. My head off to all the first-line workers mm. who, who face this danger every day. But then there's a possibility of them bringing that danger home with them. How do you create a bubble when there's the risk every day? And I have two teenage daughters. Well, wow. one's a teenager, 13 and 11. And how do you create that bubble? Does do she come home and wear a mask every day? So what, or what do we take the risk every day? So what have you what have you been doing, Richard? What, 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 what we've your just been depending on her to stay masked and stay healthy and to let us know if something goes awry. Wow. But there's wow. no guarantee that she even knows she could bring it home, and then five days later, you know, we're at risk. Yeah. Uh, Richard, I uh, first of all, I want to you know say thanks to your wife for the work that she's doing. That is such critical work uh, right now. But I also want to extend my sympathies to you and your family for having to figure out how to manage that situation. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, what, what should Richard and his family uh, be doing with the, the question of pods and bubbles? So Richard... Richard actually brought up a couple key points, and that is that, you know, literally every day his wife has the risk of exposure to COVID-19. And so I'm sure at this point she has some protocols when she comes home in terms of um, hygiene and cleaning clothes or her scrubs and and things like that that she's going through. And I would maintain that activity. Um, In terms of expanding their pod to another family, I, I would say, I guess I would err on the on the side of just remaining with a single family for now. And the good news, I have to say, is that, you know, literally today we are expecting some feedback uh, from the FDA on the Pfizer vaccine Mm -hmm. uh, review. So that's going to be good news. We already know that the state of Michigan is going to be deploying some vaccine for healthcare providers. They're first in line in what we're calling phase 1A deployment of the vaccine. So that's very good news. So if they could hold out just another few weeks, um, it's quite possible 
that his wife may be able to get uh, vaccination, which would help kind of alleviate some of his concerns and potentially allow them to expand to a pod size that's perhaps one additional family. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's that. You are absolutely right about that being great news. We're all waiting to determine just to see what they determine today. Uh, but you know, the vaccine is the thing that that we're all waiting for. That will at least begin to put our lives back to some some level of normalcy. And I say that with real trepidation and caution because uh, it's not going to happen right away. But uh, it is. Uh, a huge step along the path back to to normalcy. Richard, again, I really appreciate the call. I want to thank your wife again for the work uh, she's doing and wish luck to your family uh, staying safe during all of this. Let's go to Hannah in Detroit. Hannah, welcome to the show. Uh, Yes, thank you. Peace Uh and blessings be upon you. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to make a comment, and I love your show, um, that wearing a mask, and going out and, and staying social distancing. When I go to the doctor's office, they take your uh, temperature. Mm-hmm. They ask you a series of questions. Have you come in contact? You know them. You know them. Um, and then you go home. But my thing is this. Why can't you do that on a holiday with your family? Mm. I mean, um, why can't you take the temperature? You know you haven't come in contact with different people because you're trying to avoid taking this to your family's home. Right. So what is the difference? You're going out every day working. Most people, they, I mean the people that are working, they go out, they wear their mask, they do all the precautions, they come back home, they take their temperature, I assume, and you're okay. So yeah. what is this that you can't visit? You're seeing people Ooh. every day. You're coming in contact with people every day. You're not aware. You're not afraid of them, but you're afraid to go by your family's home that you know is doing the same precautions as you. Right, uh, Hannah. That's a great. It's a great question, uh, and and that's a great scenario that you're sort of laying out there, uh, Rachel Gutman. That sounds like the kind of thing that you might want to do in a pod is uh, is take temperatures and, and have people report out about where they've been, who they've seen, so that uh, the pod stays secure. It doesn't have the leakage that, uh, that you were writing about. Definitely. I think that regular temperature checks, regular testing, all these other sorts of precautions are very important if you are making a pod. But one of the important things to remember, too, is that none of these methods is foolproof. Mm-hmm. So the disease can spread either without symptoms at all or before somebody has symptoms. Temperature checks aren't necessarily super reliable. Testing is imperfect. And a test also only tells you whether or not you have the virus at any given point in time. It doesn't say whether you're going to have it tomorrow. So none of these methods to reduce leakage is perfect. And when you're in a pod, you're having more intimate, you're engaging in more intimate behaviors, whether that is hugging or being inside unmasked that you're not necessarily doing when you go to work or go to the doctor's office. So you are more exposed to the people in your pod than you are to the folks who you're just interacting with going about your daily life. And so having the, the more people who you are exposed to on that more intimate level, the greater the risk for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, Rachel Gutman, Deputy Managing Editor of The Atlantic uh, and author of the piece, Sorry to Bust Your Quarantine Bubble. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thank you very much for having joined us. Great to be here. Thank you. And Dr. Paul Kilgore, Associate Professor and Director of Research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. It is also always great to have you here with us. Thank you for coming by as well. Thank you very much, Steve. Great to be here. Yes. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Tomorrow, we're going to have a conversation about the historical context of systemic inequality with author and professor Professor Joe Trotter, who has a new book out called Workers on Arrival, Black Labor in the Making of America. Trotter is the director and founder of Carnegie Mellon's Center for African-American Urban Studies and the Economy. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Anna Marie Seisling. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. I'll be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. We'll talk more then.